Hashtag SAFM Headspace. Good news, there is a municipality that has decided to take things into their own hands and deal with the problem that we seem to be failing to deal with as a country. And now at this point, perhaps I must just move to Cape Town as well. Cape Town wants to set up its own independent power producer office to secure renewable energy following President Cyril Ramaphosa's announcement during the SONA address that municipalities in good financial standing will be allowed to procure their own power from IPPs. Join us now on the line is Executive Director for Energy at the City of Cape Town, Kadri Nasib. Good evening, Kadri, and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Good evening, and good evening to your listeners. This is true. Are you guys going to be focusing on getting your own power now? Well, I think that's the objective, certainly. And I think, uh, as you've heard before, you know, both the mayor and premier in the Western Cape and Cape Town have reacted, I think, with cautious optimism to the announcement from the president. So, yes, the expectation is very much that we would be looking at setting up our own independent power producer office and presumably able to procure power, but it'll obviously only be done once we have an indication from the Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy as to when a determination will be imminent. Have you taken a decision or is this something that you're still contemplating? No, no, absolutely. This has been a long time in the making. So, for example, since 2015, the previous mayor has already been petitioning the former Minister of Energy uh, with regards to allowing the municipality to be able to procure power. I must also just mention, of course, that uh, province as well has been very active working on energy game changes, trying to not only influence national government to take this kind of decision, but it's also been looking at interventions designed to make the homeowner actually more resilient as well as more independent when it comes to their power supply. When we're talking about the setting up of this office, is it an office that is going to be putting together policies or is this something that has already been put together? I'm trying to establish when we'll see some of your municipalities, some of the areas being supplied by IPPs. Well, I think there are two, I think let's put them as challenges for now, but these would relate to, for example, the um, ability to conclude power purchase agreements in a reasonably short period of time. This is dependent upon various factors that includes the bankability of the project, the actual tender process, the approval by National Treasury of what is known as Section 33, this is under the Municipal Finance Management Act, the Section 33 process that would allow municipalities to enter into longer-term contracts, Mm -hmm. longer than the prescribed three, three years, which is contained in the Act. So there are those limiting factors, and of course, once you have a project that's been approved, there's still, of course, the lead time to construction and permissioning. So that could be, you know, another two to three years from the time of award to the time in which they're actually generating power on the grid. So it's not a quick fix, but I think what it does do is it sends the right signal to the market to say that the municipality is receptive um, to actually purchasing power from the private sector. It'll be a portion, of course, of the power that is actually consumed um, by the city of Cape Town there will still be a reasonable allocation to ESCOM for backup purposes in particular and because of the existing infrastructure that's already within the city. So you could see it as a, as a progressive and phased-in approach towards increasing uh, independence of the city. Progressive indeed. Who exactly is going to be using this power? Is it all of Cape Town or certain areas of Cape Town? Well, it will be fed into the grid. So it will be effectively all the consumers that are supported by by the city. 
there's a percentage of the city that's actually supplied by ESCOM directly. But, you know, at the end of the day, it will be blended into the into the power network. So it's not going to be dedicated to specific customers at this stage, no. There are those customers that are getting free electricity uh, from government, so to speak. Is that going to be the case even with those IPPs? Well, government has provided for free basic electricity. So there's an allocation, which is the first 60 kilowatt hours or 60 units of electricity, which is made available to what we deem to be indigent consumers. Correct. That will remain. That is, in fact, a contribution from national government to the equitable share. Correct. And so that will remain, of course. Um, nothing will change. The expectation from our side is that the, the tariffs that will become applicable as a result of the contracts that have been entered into should roughly remain the same. In fact, one of the key benefits of going this route is that we have more certainty with respect to long-term pricing, which means we can offer the market a better indication of tariffs going forward without all the uncertainty that has accompanied the ESCOM tariff increases over the years. Educate me. NERSA generally has the final say as to how much there's going to be power increases, electricity price increases. Will that be the case here? Absolutely. Um, That's on the tariffing side, so that would uh, in particular apply to the customers that we provide. The power purchase agreements uh, would be based on generating licenses being awarded to the generators, and those licenses, of course, awarded by NERSA. So they have a large influence in this particular process. But I think one must also appreciate that the municipality also has a right to set tariffs, and so there's usually a process that involves both the regulator approving tariffs as well as the municipality approving tariffs that are introduced from 1 July onwards each year. Do you have the legislative uh, power to set up this office? At the moment, there's nothing in law that says you can't. So if you're looking at setting up an office, we can set up any office. I think the issue is the powers and responsibilities that comes with that office. Certainly in terms of setting up the rules of procurement, there's no impediment to that. Yes, we can't enter into contracts at this stage, and that's largely due to the fact that there is no ministerial determination in place yet, for which, as I said, we're waiting for Minister Matashi to, to comply with that request. Secondly, of course, there's the issue of the open tender process, which has to be followed by law. And that, of course, is a, a, it's a tedious process, but it's a necessary process in order to allow the market uh, an opportunity to compete equally uh, for an opportunity in the space. So it's going to be a process that's governed by that. It'll take a little bit of time, as I've said to you before, but that's really what the office should be focusing on, getting all those rules together, getting the uh, procurement process off the ground, and then assist with completing the contracting process. And after that, as I said, the power will be fed into the network, allowing the private sector to at least uh, take up a role in this particular space. Let's talk about the politics that govern the city. Do you have um, a consensus from council that you can establish this and have the voters supported that, or at least have they been consulted? There there is is long-standing approval from council to conclude a process that looks at energy security of supplies. That's contained in the integrated development plan of the city. So that's a five-year plan, which is a compact between the city as well as its constituencies. So council has already agreed that we will have to purchase at least um, three to 400 megawatts of clean energy, alternative energy in some cases, and that could be natural gas, 
it could be renewable energy, etc. But that must be added to the uh, city's energy mix. Also bearing in mind that the city is a signatory to the uh, C40s uh, program, where we have made commitments to reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. And we are also, through the national government, also signatories, in a sense, to the Paris Agreement, where there's also a commitment to reducing our carbon footprint. So we are not going to be seeing any protests with people objecting to the process of of, of including the IPPs here? Well, no, certainly not. I I wouldn't anticipate that at all. If I look at the current dilemma, the current uh, crisis that we face with respect to load shedding, it's an impact which is heavily affecting our industrial customers. It obviously affects the residential and commercial market as well. But the, the full financial impact, the economic impact of this at least is in the order of about 50 million rands per day per stage of load shedding. And it's not sustainable for any economy, particularly a local economy like the cities. So there is, there is an imperative uh, on behalf of the city, and it's one which is fully backed by industry. There are many initiatives, as I said to you, province, Green Cape, um, and a few business uh, chambers, for example, that are actively and quite diligently looking at alternative solutions that are going to help to mitigate this impact. So we're expecting that there will be major buy into this process because it does allow for reliability of supply, which currently isn't there. One of the excuses or some of the excuses offered for why we're having this problem with power generation and transmission in South Africa is Midupi has got this problem, Kusile has this problem, no, we have not been able to connect, construction this, overheads that, and it hasn't amounted to much. Will we not see the very same thing when you're uh, revamping your infrastructure to incorporate the IPPs? I think we've seen from the national program, the REAP program, that uh, the private sector, when left to their own devices and are working under strict contractual terms, um, they're able to deliver projects in a very, very short period of time. So over the four and a half, let's say, previous rounds, we've seen tremendous strides being made in terms of completion dates, the quality of technology that's been put up. So we have every reason to believe that this will continue uh, even under a locally administered program. And we've seen it, as I said to you, there's enough evidence out there, uh, large-scale solar plants, uh, large wind turbines, uh, also another type of solar technology called concentrating solar power. And these projects are completed, uh, completed in a very, very short period of time rel- relative to Madupi and Kusile, which, as you know, have been so dramatically delayed over mm. the past few years. Indeed. I want to take a voice note before I let you go. I appreciate your patience. So let's go to the voice note, shall we? Sure. Good evening, Nae. My question is, who own these IPPs? And if they have skills, why they don't help ESCOM to run effectively? Thanks. All right. I'm not quite sure if that's a well, fair question to ask him. But hey, you, you can answer it if you're ready to. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think IPPs by nature are independent power producers, which means yes. that they are independent of the national utility. So these are usually private sector companies. Uh, a large proportion of them in South Africa are linked to multinational companies. So they bring in the expertise, they bring in access to finance, uh, bring in technology. So that is, that is a big plus in terms of foreign direct investment opportunities for the country. So that's a good thing. So, so far, IPPs have been helping ESCOM. Well over four and a half to 5,000 megawatts of power has already been fed into the network at present by the IPPs. So this is over and above what ESCOM is able to generate from its own sources. 
So we expect that going forward, uh, even if you put on an extra three to 400 megawatts of this power, it will be made available reliably, and with it comes the opportunity for local job creation, which I think is also an important uh, requirement for any local economy. All right. And my final question, and then I'll let you go. Uh, do you imagine that this will be something that will be a model for other municipalities to work on, perhaps, as a trailblazer of a sort? Well, I mean, there's a number of uh, municipalities or metros that are actually looking at this already. So, for example, Ikuleni has already commenced with a procurement process. Um, the unfortunate delay for them is, of course, the awarding of generating licenses, which is stalled pending the uh, issuing of a ministerial determination. So this is the reason behind the court case, uh, which seeks a declarity order, uh, possibly allowing for the municipalities to continue with the procurement process without having to wait for a ministerial determination. So this is quite, so the city of Cape Town's court case is critical, not only for Cape Town, but for the other municipalities who have similar interests. We know Johannesburg has got a similar interest. We know Itiquini has got one uh, similar to that. Nelson Mandela, Buffalo City, etc. These are all uh, large metros that are looking at also increasing their own independence from the grid. All right, we're going to leave it right there. Kadri Nasib, thank you very much for coming through and talking to us. We really appreciate your time, sir. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Executive Director for Energy at the City of Cape Town, Kadri Nasib, telling us their plans. How about that?